how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Unwasted Podcast. I'm your host, Riley Brock, and it's my honor every week to talk with experts in food, health, sustainability, and generally making the world a better, tastier place. Today, we're going to discuss something that in many ways is at the heart of this podcast and why it exists in the first place, which is humanizing the food system. When Imperfect first started, food waste was an issue that many Americans hadn't heard of, or if they had, they'd only heard of it in broad strokes and a few scary statistics. So our challenge as a company was simultaneously you know, finding a way to get people to care about something that was really big, but also worryingly complex and nuanced, right? And a big way that we did this was by finding ways to humanize the problem of food waste, doing things like putting googly eyes on ugly fruits or sharing the stories of farmers who used to lose money because of the strict cosmetic standards of grocery stores. These were ways that we were able to give our audience new ways to relate to the problem and go about solving it together. Now, today's guests are on a mission to humanize our food system one story at a time. They're the founder and director of Real Food, Real Stories, an organization focused on using storytelling to make food more just and sustainable in the long run. I'm honored to have them here with us today. Peru Ko and Javita Ross, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Thanks, Riley. Yeah. It's really great to have you both here. You know, I think your work is really interesting to me in that I think when people think about what what's the type of things our food system needs most right now, I think a lot of people want to jump to laws, policies, investments. But in many ways, you're making the argument that you know things as basic as listening and storytelling have a huge role to play here. Why focus so much on storytelling as a medium for change? Yeah, um, so... Partly because culture shapes things like laws and policies and how people act. And so the assumptions that we make about ourselves and our place in the world and our relationship are shaped the solutions that we come up with to problems we face. And so if we can cultivate a culture that is connected, that prioritizes relationships, that understands that all life is connected, uh, then we can come up with solutions that also value those truths. Anything you want to add, Peru? Uh, I would just say, like, we focus on stories uh, positively, stories of change, and that feeds us. I think more than ever, we need sources of hope. We need sources to, like, keep believing, keep, keep you together for solutions, keep problem solving, and that's where storytelling, I believe, is more important now ever as adjunct to everything, uh, all the other incredible solutions or hard work that's out there. Got it. And you know, why is uh, humanizing the food system such a focal point of your work? Or I guess another way to put that would be, what sort of problems have you two observed from a dehumanized food system? Yeah, well, we know that the global industrialized food system is harming both people and ecologies. And you can see that in the way that uh, food businesses are encroaching more and more into wildlands, including globally significant wildlands like the Amazon rainforest. 
Um, but really that's happening all over the world. Um, and it's also incredibly exploitative to the people whose labor produces our food. And you can see that in the current COVID outbreaks in meatpacking plants and the ways that um, actually our federal government has declined to protect those workers. Um, so the current food system is organized really after a model that was established through plantations. And it is structured to produce capital for very few owners. And, and that's it. It doesn't not actually designed to feed us well or to feed life, to serve life. And uh, um, the, we're speaking just a day after the Bay Area sky was glowing orange from the wildfires. Uh, the way that we are living, the earth is telling us very clearly the way we are living is not working. And it's, it's not working for any of us. So it's really time to make a shift, past time. Got it. And how did, how, what's the origin story of Real Food, Real Stories? Like, how did it come to be in the first place? So it's, uh, what, about five, six years? Where are we at <laughs> when it got started? I don't even remember. But I, I came into it with um, a lot of experience in storytelling, but food wasn't a big part of my life. And in 2010, I took a, what I call a sabbatical from my career because I wanted to study food for therapeutic purposes to help myself heal from autoimmune conditions. And so I moved from Taiwan to the Bay Area to study that. And I spent days visiting all the farmers markets and trying to meet food makers behind our packaged food or chefs, trying to get into commercial kitchens. And as an eater, I really wanted to find food that I can trust. And for me, meeting the people behind it was what seemed to make sense for me. And that's when I stumbled upon this really beautiful food community in the Bay Area that are really dedicated to personal, communi community, social, ecological wellness. And I also noticed that that food community didn't have space to tell the whole story, tell, talk about their whole self, and, and interact with eaters in that way. So the Real Food Real Story started as a social experiment in my apartment. We had 45 people, most people were sitting on the floor, uh, shoulders, shoulders with each other, and we heard a personal story behind a really passionate, sustainable seafood distributor. Hmm. His stories of why he does what he does and, and what's the issue that's happening in our, in our in our sea and the way we're interacting with it. So that one night, um, everyone who attended were mostly friends and family, and they just thought this needs to continue because the connection, the the feeling of um, positivity and and togetherness was so palpable. So that one night eventually turned into this nonprofit. Wow. So sort of an in-person story jam evolved into uh, this, this little movement. That's, that's so cool. That's really awesome to hear. You know, you mentioned food as a vehicle for healing, which is something I think is really, really powerful. And I think a lot of us think about food as a vehicle for personal health, like you were talking about in your case with 
resolving an autoimmune disorder. Can you talk a bit about how you've seen food um, work as a, a way to create kind of healthy communities and physical environments as well? Yeah, you know, I, through Real for Real Story, we we coach storyteller, we coach what we call change makers in food, um, telling their effect, telling their personal stories, and we we work with many of them over the years now. I can think about Kelly um, from Axonum Verba. She uses um, community gardens to heal urban kids connection to their community. I think about Sana Havari Kadri of Diaspora Co. It's another one of our storytellers working to decolonize the spice trade and return our respect to the land and the producers. Those are just a couple examples of uh, many powerful ways for food to be a medium of healing for our community, for our ecology and more. Just the experience of live story is an experience of mutuality. Um, it's a collaboration between the storyteller and the listeners. And so that experience of giving our generous attention to the people, particularly the people who are leading the way on creating a life-serving life food system, um, that is one way to bring more consciousness into the importance of our relationships. Awesome. And, you know, in terms of the, the focal point of your organization, it, it used to be, it sounds like these in-person, you know, very intimate uh, sessions. Obviously, tw 2020 has been quite a disruptive year for doing anything in person. So I, I'm curious, how have you had to adapt your mission uh, this year in 2020? Well, obviously, we can't do live in-person events right now. So we've been offering them online and uh, found that a lot of the elements of our live, um, of our in-person gatherings do translate online. We still create opportunities for people to interact with each other and to connect with each other as humans. Uh, we still can lend our generous listening to the storytellers. Um, we create space for them to share authentically and um, a lot of the sense of community still um, carries through. And, you know, given recent events, it seems to me at least that America right now needs kind of, we need healing more than ever, you know, in terms of a divisive election season, in terms of COVID on the West Coast, these, these wild, you know, these wildfires are, are, are hitting close to home. You know, what, what role do you two see food having and helping America recover in the months and years ahead? Yeah, I think there are so many people who are organizing really creative responses to this situation right now. There's all the restaurants that are turned commissary kitchens and the pop-up takeout businesses and mutual aid networks of neighbors buying each other groceries. Um, also, lots of creative ways of um, preventing food waste and uh, redirecting food to the people who most need it. And I think these are the kinds of solutions that um, are, are our future, truly. And so that is one possibility out of this pandemic is that we start to build those networks to actually create an economy that serves our communities. And, that, and to add to that, I think this COVID time may have really cleared that 
our past food system model does not work. You see the number of restaurants shuttering. Because, um, you see how our farm workers are really suffering. It's just such a, it just put the truth right in front of us and yeah. said we cannot operate um, the same way anymore. And like Jovita was saying, like, so how can we disrupt? How can we reimagine? How can we rebuild? Not to build something that's nothing like what it was. Yeah. Uh, that, that rings true. You know, my understanding is so many of these supply chain dis- disruptions we saw in 2020 were in many ways a wake up call. Like I think most Americans took food supply chains for granted. And then you have stuff like flour and yeast and eggs running out in the store. And suddenly people realize it was always a miracle that these things were available year round. And then when they're not there, you realize how much hard work and sweat and labor goes into getting them to you. I, I think that's really well said. You know, I'd be curious, you, you two have spoken with some really inspiring change makers in the food industry. And I'm curious, what's a type of change, like if, if you could implement one type of change to the food system based on something you've seen maybe at a smaller scale or, or kind of pitched in one of these storytelling sessions, you know, what, what type of change would you want to see if you could, if you could implement, you know, one, one fundamental shift to how food is grown and sold in this country? Um, what comes to mind for me is, um, actually just to, to know who is behind our food and not yeah. just like in theory, like, um, oh, there's farmers, um, and there's farm workers, but the actual people. <laughs> and, and we've had so many opportunities to do that. Um, you know, hearing the story from Lorraine Walker at Eat Well Farm. I've been a, a subscriber to their community supported agriculture program for years. And um, just that opportunity to get to know her a little better makes me feel more connected to that farm. I have great faith in them and was so glad to be a member um, when all those disruptions happened in the spring. So that's one thing that comes to mind for me. How about you, Peru? Yeah, um, similarly, we need to, that emotional connection, that spiritual connection to our food is what will will be the cornerstone stone to these solutions. And like Davida saying that it's truly knowing where your food is from, but having a, also having a relationship to it. And that's really what Real for Real Story is a mission for as well. Yeah. Yeah. It strikes me that something your work is really trying to draw attention to is most of us relate to food in a transactional way, but we would do better to relate to it in a more relationship-based way of really thinking deeper. And it's less about an exchange and more about a mutual understanding. Is that is that a fair assessment? You totally hit the nail on the head. And that really... Um, you know, um, land-based peoples around the world recognize that ecosystems are about relationships. And really all food that humans eat is a gift from these ecosystems that we are a part of, that we live in, and uh, that, that we have relationships with, whether we're conscious of it or not. And I would say when I moved here and started studying food, I thought I was going to be working and seeing how nutrition can help my healing. But quickly it became clear to me that it's not just about nutrition. It is those relationships that are 
deeply nourishing that deeply helped me understand who I am, where I'm located, where do I grow my roots, and that's where the healing comes from as well. Yeah. It might sound a little wishy-washy, but you know, sometimes people ask me like, what is, what is one thing you think could help us waste less food? And, and one of my go-to answers honestly is gratitude because I think it's really hard to waste food if you're truly appreciative of all the work and sunshine and water that goes into producing some of our favorite stuff. And I think, I mean, there's a ton of reasons why food waste happens in this country, but, but one of them I think I've seen is, is kind of similar to what you two are talking about where folks just don't, it's kind of a casual thing. You know, you just like, you don't really think about what you're eating or, or not eating. You don't think about what you buy and bring home and stash in the fridge and then forget about. But if you just put a little bit more intentionality and gratitude behind it, I, you know, I found in my life, at least it's, it's a really powerful way to just change, change how you eat and how much food you waste. It's just spending a little bit more time thinking about like, yeah, the, like you said, I love that the food is really a gift. And I think we would all do well to, to really dwell on that and, and remember that more often. Yeah, it's totally different if you buy a basket of strawberries from an unnamed farm or if you have a basket of strawberries from Lorraine Walker from Eat Well Farm. How likely you are to waste that, (laughs) it's going to be totally different. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, even taking it a step further, if you've grown those berries yourself, yeah, berries, berries are hard to grow. Squirrels want to eat them. Birds want to eat them. You know, all the bugs and critters want to eat them. So if you successfully grow a berry, you know, you better be appreciating, you know, I'm not growing up. We would ever, we tried to grow strawberries and it often didn't work, but every now and then we get one perfectly ripe berry. And I swear it was the most delightful berry ever. And you'd get like one or two a season, but you know, those never, those never went to waste. You'll never forget. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's in a way why gardening is such a powerful exercise, you know, beyond the, the nutritional aspect, it's just a really, really rewarding exercise in, in gratitude and appreciation and literally like investing something and then getting a return. It's, I think, yeah, just a really beautiful cycle. You know, th- this year I've, I've noticed you're making a really concerted effort uh, to amplify black voices in food, which I think is, is super awesome and admirable. I've, I've seen especially a lot of black women's voices in the past few weeks on your feed and your content. I think that's awesome. I'd be curious to hear wh- what have been some of the biggest things you've learned from this? Yeah, well, one thing um, just to note, we had planned this um, this season. We had planned it back in 2019. And the timing just happened to coincide with this uh, renewal of uh, uprising for Black lives um, and protesting the ways that Black people have been exploited and um, harmed in our society and calling for change. Um, So we're so grateful that we happen to have this season planned And it's just really affirmed that how many incredible, talented Black folks are doing really purpose-driven work in food. Uh, I think of Chef Chu, who was our um, season opener storyteller, um, that he was motivated to create plant-based proteins because he wanted to offer healthier food that his community would want to eat. Um, or we've been doing also some uh, chats on Instagram Live and uh, talk to Kai Norte, who makes Cubine Nice Cream. Mm. It's a coconut-based uh, cream. And uh, she is talks about how she, she wants to create these treats that are also 
good, they're healthy for us and healthy for Mama Earth. And then one of our storytellers, Kanchan, um, is so passionate about food security and also um, really enthusiastic about growing our own food. You know, you were just talking about growing strawberries and she just shared how powerful that experience is to grow food that you eat yourself. And, and once you get some basics down that it's, um, it's actually fairly accessible and her core message was there's enough to feed everyone. Um, if we pay attention, if we are intentional about it. Um, so there was just some really beautiful, uplifting stories. And there were also some common themes, uh, experiences of both systemic structural racism and how that is expressed interpersonally, um, and particularly around barriers to funding or um, investment capital and um, how when Black entrepreneurs do get in uh, access to capital, that it often comes with traps. Um, for example, Kai Norte shared a story of one uh, one man who offered to invest in her business by essentially buying it from her and hiring her to do the work. Um, huh. So... <laughs> pretty <Wow>. stunning. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that our our food systems are really designed around this plantation economy model, and um, there are people doing really incredible work um, to grow a, a different way of approaching food from the grassroots. That's been what's really powerful about this season. It's also just powerful to break down, okay, we we are been being told or reminded that we need to care about black lives, but who are these black lives and and to build that direct personal connection to some of the positive inspiring stories in our food systems that that it enlivens this heavy um, this big need right now, but it enlivens in a way through personal connections and personal stories. You know, for folks listening that want to support your work or get involved in the mission, you know, what what asks do you have for them? How can people get involved in, in this really honorable work of really empathizing our food system more? Yeah, um, well, so one thing folks can do is um, check out the videos from that summer season on our Vimeo channel and tune in to our live gatherings. We um, post them. We have a new season coming up. Um, It'll be announced uh, next week um, on all of our social media channels and our website. And, um, and then I think to me, the, the, more vital, like I definitely encourage people to tune into our stories, uh, gatherings and have that live story experience. But really it's about um, what relationship does each of us want to create with our food and with the people who um, bring our food to us and can we have intention and care around that? The only thing I will add to that is if you are curious on some of our past stories, we have the Curious Eater podcast that you can access on Spotify and most places. 
and it's just it's so important to hear diverse story human story nuanced stories right now and connect from that level and that's one of the ways you know we, we already touched on kind of looking forward what type of changes you want to see i think the, the last thing i'm kind of searching for is is a little bit of, of hope or optimism i think these days because uh i think we all could use some so i'd be curious kind of in closing what's what's a story that you've heard through your work that really gave you that that hope and that optimism about the future of our food system so many to sit through to think to choose one mm. The, the one that comes to me is actually less just about the content of the story, but what happens about it. So Nick Sharma is one of our past storytellers, and he spoke in this, one of our what we call story slam format, which is short form stories. Um, and we had 300 plus people in the audience listening to stories together. Something we definitely miss in COVID time. Yeah. And Nick shared, um, Nick is a cookbook author, photographer, recipe developer. He has a column in San Francisco Chronicle, cookbooks. But the story he wanted to tell started way before that. It's when he first started photographing um, his food, he wanted to incorporate his hands in the images because he doesn't see enough people of color in the industry. But what was happening, what he was receiving back was a lot of negative comments, comments like, we don't want to see your ashy skin in these photos. And it's extremely hurtful. And it's a really challenging time. He took out, even took out his blog for a while because he was so scared. And that story, um, he eventually re- found renewed courage to do what he does because that's exactly why there are not enough DLC, BIPOC, um, representation ensued. So he's got to double down and doing it. But yeah. so when this is a story that he hasn't felt like there was space to told. And I'm so glad through our, through our facilitation process through the night, he, he had that space. But even more importantly, when he was on stage, he was so choked up. He couldn't really speak for 30 plus seconds. And if you ever speak in public, you know that is eternity. And the whole room, a whole room full of strangers who didn't know Nick, started calling out, go Nick, we got you. Don't worry, people are trying to pass and tissue. Like it's just this instant feeling of community because of his honesty and vulnerability and because of what he's trying to do, everyone got it right away. And everyone meet him there, support him there. And that's the power of story. That's when we come together and show up for each other like that, I just can't imagine what what beautiful things can come out of it. Yeah. That's super touching. Thank you for sharing. Of course. The one that comes to mind for me, if I have to choose one, is um, Eileen Suzara, who's a chef and founder of Sarua Kitchen. Um, and the story that she shared with us was about her journey to really learn uh, the her ancestral cuisine. Her family is from the Philippines. And to disrupt some of the stereotypes about Filipino food being really unhealthy and actually reconnect with some of the um, historical practices of her people and modernizing them for modern ingredient availability um, and lifestyle 
but to reconnect with the ways that her people historically did create health for themselves and their families and communities. So that's one example, I think, of how people today are finding ways to um, really kind of reweave some of these relationships that were broken through the colonial era that is uh, still reverberating in our economy. Awesome. Super powerful stuff. Thank you both. Um, love to get on now to the speed round. These are some fun closer questions. Get to cover a little more ground, get to know you both and your work a bit better. First one is, what would you encourage folks listening to follow up with or explore in more depth on their own time? So uh, there's a local author, Mia Birdsong, um, who put out a book about um, community and uh, it's called How We Show Up, Reclaiming family, friendship, and community. Um, so it's not directly food-related, although food does show up in the book. Um, but it's really about um, the, the reweaving those relationships that um, make our lives meaningful. Yeah, and I, I, I have to, again, point out the Curious Eater podcast as a, another podcast to listen after hearing right here. There's just so many powerful stories that we have documented and gathered over the years. It's really a place for positivity as well. Excellent. And uh, what's a positive change you've made in the past year that you think folks listening should try? So there is an insight that Mia Birdsong um, shares around um, in hard times that we build community by offering ease to others. And so I... Um, I was really inspired by that, and I started um, kind of using that as an inquiry or a, just a, a prompt for myself of how can I offer ease to the people I care about. Um, and it's been just little things like um, bringing flowers from the farmer's market to a friend who was having a hard time, um, but it's been really sweet. That's lovely. I love that. For me, Mia became a, a new parent this year for the first time. And I, uh, looking at my young child and looking at this challenging world that we live in, I think about, I've been thinking about what is a, a practice I can incorporate in my life that helps um, keep the positivity. So I made this um, agreement with my partner Whenever I feel a number of things are getting me down, let's say there's three things that I'm really troubled right now, I actively name four, one, one more thing that I can feel positive and grateful for to, to counter that. Because there's always, always that around us. It's just whether we open our eyes to it, whether we feed it and water and nourish it. So that's the practice I am working on. Awesome. I got to try that. It sounds like a really grounding thing, especially in 2020. If you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? For me, it, um, I like to think about um, what they particularly love and, and might not have access to or get to um, 
try very often. Uh, one example is a friend was not eating flowers and, and she mentioned that she was missing um, baked goods. And so I made her a pavlova um, so that she could have that kind of treat that without flowers. Similar to Joe, I think about what is their favorite food. Um, my partner loves all things aromatic, ginger, garlic, Thai basil, what have you. And so I made him uh, a scallion sesame roll for his birthday. Yum. Wow. Now I'm craving uh, carby deliciousness. Uh, thank you both for that. <laughs> pavlova is great, by the way. I think pavlova is an underappreciated dessert. I had my first one. I had... um a friend whose parents are Irish over for Thanksgiving like two years ago and they brought a pavlova. It's this like egg white meringue that's like the most heavenly, crunchy, airy texture and it's, oh, it's, it's delightful. If you ever have a friend who brings a pavlova over, they are a keeper. I can tell you that because I, I, as I understand it, they're also hard to make, right? It's a lot of whipping eggs. They are tricky to make. Yeah. Yeah. Whipping eggs and you can't bake them too long. There's like, a, there's an art to how long you bake it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, what ingredient could you not live without? For me, it's ginger. Uh, I, I make ginger tea, um, but I also put ginger in all kinds of foods. For, it's uh, warming, and I tend to run cold, um, and nourishing and soothing to the digestion. I love it. <laughs> For me, being far away from home, which is Taiwan, I had to call, call out rice. That is something I can't live with. It's not just a bowl of rice. You can make rice noodle. You can brown it into porridge, cook it into porridge. There's so many things you can do with rice. And that's a direct connection back to my root and my ancestors. Hmm. Awesome. And what is your least favorite thing to waste? Leftovers. <laughs> I know some people hate leftovers, but I will happily take them. <laughs> In our family, we hate wasting carrot tops. At the farmer's market, they always ask you if they want to, you want them to take off the tops, and we always say we want to keep them. And sometimes if we see a whole box of them behind the farmers, we ask for it too. We will make pesto from it, or we can also salt the, the carrot top and make it into a Chinese dish through the salted wilted green. I love that answer. It's carrot tops are an unsung hero. Uh, that's so great. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. They're d delightful and interesting in their own right. And I'm glad, I'm glad to know someone's holding the torch for carrot tops out there at the farmer's market. That's awesome. Uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? I don't have a single uh, specific song, but uh, I uh, sing in the alto range, so I tend to go for songs by gritty women who sing in the alto range, uh, like Lucinda Williams, for example. Awesome. These days I sing a lot of songs with my child. <laughs> so we always sing in the morning when he first wakes up, and one of our favorite songs is called Morning Sun by Melody Gardot. Awesome. Uh, who is somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them? What comes to mind is um, my my grandmother. She was actually my dad's stepmom, but she was uh, married to my grandfather before I was born. So 
uh, grew up with her in my life. And she had been a pediatric nurse in San Francisco. Um, and she just treated everyone she met as if uh, they were the most important person, a long lost friend. She made friends wherever she went um, and just made everyone feel special and cared for. I think about Farmer and the farm crew, Jerry Lawson and farm crew at Pyrex. Um, they recently lost their entire water source system due to the fires. And as all the produce wilting away on the farm, what they're doing is organizing the entire Pescadero region um, and along with the local indigenous tribes closely to figure out how to reimagine the land management and collaboration and um, how agriculture needs to both play a role, um, how agriculture can play a role in rebuilding the region as well. So they're not wasting any moments um, and jumping right to organizing. That's amazing. That's so cool to hear using this moment of, of crisis on one way to also reinvent and reimagine what could be possible with that land. That's, that's great to hear. We all need news like that this year for sure. Uh, and fi- finally here, uh, what are you grateful for this week? Um, you know, the, the fires all over California are so present in my mind. And earlier this week, um, my mom had to evacuate. And um, I just heard from her this morning that she was able to return home and her home is still there. Um, so I, it, um, this week, I'm grateful for basics like having a home and, uh, you know, a safe, safe place to be. Yeah. And that my loved ones are safe. I'm feeling grateful for the producers around us still showing up to grow, harvest, and deliver our food despite the smoke, despite the pandemic, despite the air quality being so poor all around us. Yeah, what, what, a, what a lovely note to end on there. Uh, Peru and Javita, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so our website is realfoodrealstories.org, and we're on social media at RFR Stories. Uh, so that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, and LinkedIn, I guess. <laughs> Awesome. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in our show notes and on our content website, thewholecarrot.com. That's where this podcast and all of our podcast episodes live. So definitely check that out when you have a chance. That's thewholecarrot.com. Javita and Peru, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Riley. Thank you.